You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, uh, we... uh, we come to you with open hearts this morning. We're, we're a room full of people who have a need for the life that you give. And so quite simply, Jesus, pour your life into us. We pray this in your name, in Jesus, uh, in your name, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Bless you. You can go ahead and have a seat. Kids, uh, we are thankful that you have uh, been with us uh, this long. And you have led us in worship and joy and beauty and wiggling. Uh, and we, we want to thank you. And we're going to dismiss you to a time uh, in kids' church. And if you are a visitor here and your kids are here, please feel free to get up uh, and go with them to see where they're going. Or you can send them with the leaders. We've got Suzanne down here. Kindergarten to grade five uh, are going to go downstairs. Uh, and uh, then I think the nurseries all already made their way out. And uh, we've got our grades six to eight Sunday school joining us this morning uh, as well. And so thank you for being here. How many of you, uh, when um, uh, Pastor Michelle kind of got us, uh, led us in this beautiful reflection, uh, realized you have bad breath this morning? Um, that, that was... Uh, so we're going to start with the confession. I have brushed my teeth this morning, okay? It's been... Uh, uh, but the Lord... Uh, can uh, do miracles. So, um, and so, hey, I, I, listen, I, I love, uh, a big welcome to all of you who are here uh, today. I, I love Easter Sunday. Uh, Easter Sunday has a joy, it has an energy to it like no other. Because on that first Easter Sunday, there was a joy and energy that entered into the world like no other. And so if you're, if you're new here, I, just, I especially want to welcome you today. There may be some of you who are here today, not, not so much by your choice, but more because of your kindness. You're being kind to Aunt Sally who invited you here, or, or maybe it was your neighbor Sanjay who invited you here. And I just want to say, no matter how you got here, I'm, I'm thankful you're here uh, and, and maybe as you, you come, maybe if you're unfamiliar with church, you were a little nervous about coming and, and kind of wondering what are you going to expect. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I have an encouragement for you. You're halfway through it. <laughs> All right, we've, we've already made you say things that you're like, why are they saying that at this time? We've sang some songs, we've thrown some things around the room. We've had a little bit of fun. You, you, So basically, we're halfway through. I'm going to take the next uh, little bit of time here, and I'm going to speak from the Bible. I'm going to to help us hear the story of Easter, hopefully in a new way this morning. Uh, And I I promise you, you will be napping on the couch in no time. And so thanks for being here. But maybe it's not so much that you're feeling nervous being here. Maybe it's skeptical. You hear all this talk about Jesus and about the resurrection, and and quite frankly, you're you're sitting there saying, I don't buy it. And if that's you, I want to encourage you that you are in good company. Because we're sitting in a room full of people that, that perhaps some of us as well, at some point in our life, have said, I'm not sure I buy it. In fact, some of the great heroes of our faith, The people that we read about in the scriptures, they heard about what happened on that first Easter Sunday, and they said, I don't think I buy it. 
And I think we can all agree that, that, uh, that um, no reasonable human being believes in the resurrection without a reason to believe. Yet, something happened in the lives of those first disciples, and something has happened in the lives of people in this room that has changed our mind. And so here's what I want to say uh, to you this morning. I, I want to say that, that, that if you are skeptical here, uh, I want to um, uh, tell you my goal this morning isn't to make believers out of skeptics. That's not what I hope to do uh, today is to make believers out of skeptics. But rather, uh, I want to invite you, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, I want to invite all of us into something specific. I want to invite you to hear the Easter story in a new way, a fresh way, maybe a way that you have never heard it before. I want to invite all of us to hear the Easter story as much with our heart as, as, as we do in our head. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that we can hear a story in our head, and, and the story becomes kind of the details, the, the plot line of the story. Uh, for instance, uh, take this story, and maybe it might hit close to home for some of you. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a young couple who was deeply in love. And in their love, what they wanted more than anything else was to have a child of their own. But month after month, year after year, they were unable to conceive. Until one day, one glorious day, they, they welcomed their own baby daughter into the world. Now, we can hear this story, and we can hear it in our head. And, and it's, it's a story about two people who can't have a child, but one day they have a child. It's the plot line. They're the details. But I want to suggest to you there's another way to hear the story. And it's a, a much more personal way, a much more raw way, a much more risky way. Right? When we hear the story with our heart, we actually hear it as this journey from despair, from love to, to despair, to, to sadness, to longing. But ultimately, in this story, that ends in, in joy and hope. You see, hearing a story with the heart, it can evoke and awaken things that the head often misses. In fact, I want to suggest to you that we can't fully understand the reality of any story until we have heard it with our heart. And so I want to invite all of us this morning to hear the Easter story afresh in a new way, to hear it with our heart. This Easter, we've been looking through the, uh, the stories of gardens, right? And on good first, uh, a week ago, on Palm Sunday, Brendan took us into the story of the Garden of Eden. That was the first garden we looked at, where we learned about what it means to be human, made in the image of God. Then on Good Friday, Rick took us into the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's there where, where Jesus willingly decides to take all of our sin upon himself and go to the cross for our forgiveness. This morning, I want to take you to another garden. And it's a garden that I'm calling the Garden of Resurrection. John 19, 41 and 42 sets the scene. Listen. 
It says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So on the day that Jesus was, was, was crucified on a cross, his body was taken down and it was laid in a tomb that was in a garden. And it's to this garden that I want to draw your attention this morning. I want to help you hear the story in this garden. And now we've already read it, so I'm not going to read it again. It's the story that, that, that Chris and Michelle read for us. And I want to key in on Mary, who's sitting outside the tomb in the garden. That's what I invite you to hear afresh today. But before we get there, let me pray. Jesus, you have the words of life. I don't. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and make us whole in a way that only you can do. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So the Easter story, it, it begins in a garden, but it begins with a tomb. I want you to imagine the tomb for a moment. It's dark. It's silent. And the air is cold on your skin. It smells like must, masked with myrrh and other spices. There's no movement in a tomb. It's a place of death and, and darkness. And we're told that, that Mary is outside the tomb and, and she's crying. I mean, of course she's crying, right? But, because that is the only appropriate response to death. And Mary is weeping uh, not only because she's lost someone whom she loves in the person of Jesus. She's weeping because her hope for the future died with Jesus' body. See, Mary believed that Jesus was the uh, Messiah, the uh, God's anointed one. Which is a way of saying she believed that Jesus was the one God would send to the world with his power and his authority to overturn the mess of life that we all find ourselves in. The mess of war, or the mess of tragedy, or of sickness, or, or of our own failures and our sin. She believed that Jesus was the one who was to come and sort all of this out. But Mary is weeping. She's weeping because Jesus is gone, because he's dead. And now, some of you have wept these tears of death before. You know them very well. But the hard reality that we all need to face is that if we haven't wept those tears yet, one day, most likely, we will. And all death is tragic. And so Mary is weeping. Verse 11, look, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, I don't want you to miss this, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. 
It's a detail we hear in our head, but I want to hear it in our hearts. Mary bent over to look into the tomb. Friends, it takes great courage to look into the tomb. It takes great courage because looking into the reality of death is something that we have a hard time with. In my 17 years of being a pastor, I have officiated, I've been part of lots of funerals. And the one thing that I've learned in in my 17 years of walking with people is that all of us have this, this, it's, it's hard to look at death. It's hard to face its reality. And some of the, the funerals that I'm part of, uh, we have, there's an open casket. And for those of you who have been to something like this, you know how difficult it is to look into the tomb. Death is a reality that, that we, we have a hard time facing. It, it wrenches the gut. It jars our senses. It, 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 it confronts our sense of invincibility. And we're all a bit afraid to look at death because death is the great enemy of the one thing that every single one of us here holds the most dear, life. Death is the enemy of life. And so we don't like to look in the tomb because death is something we are all powerless against. Physicians, they can develop therapies to prolong life. And, and pharmacists can develop medications to extend our living. And if you're rich enough, you can freeze your body for a thousand years in the hopes that that day they will have come up with a cure for death. But the reality is that death comes for us all. It's a curse that is too powerful for us to cure. And so we'd rather not face it. Even right now, we'd rather not face it. I'd rather not face it. But this is precisely where the Easter Sunday story begins. In the tomb. And so Easter asks us a question at the outset. Are you willing to face the reality of the tomb? To face the very thing that you would do everything to ignore, but can do nothing to avoid? Hmm. Are you still with me? (laughs) We're going to do this. We're going to make it. (laughs) Mary courageously looks into the tomb, but we're told in the text that Jesus isn't there. Rather than seeing death, Mary sees something else. She she sees two angels, and they ask her why she's crying. And she explains to them that she's crying because Jesus isn't there. She was expecting to see him. She, she, She doesn't know what's taken place. And then we're told in the text that Mary turns from the tomb toward the garden. Listen, verse 14 and 15. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. 
Now, I'm going to speak about the gardener in just a moment, but I want to I start here by drawing your attention to the garden that, that Jesus and Mary are standing in. Because gardens are important in the Bible. In fact, the whole story of the Bible, it begins in a garden in the book of Genesis, and it ends in a garden in the book of Revelation. The whole story, from, from the, it begins and ends in a garden. And in these gardens, there is a tree. A particular tree. It's called the tree of life. Listen. At the very beginning in the scriptures, in Genesis 2, verse 9, it says, In the middle of the garden was the tree of life. And then at the end of the scriptures, in Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter, it says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life. It's the same tree. Different gardens, but the same tree. There's the garden of our past and the garden of God's future. And in that garden is the same tree, the tree of life. And now you, you might remember how the story goes in the first garden, right? Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. There was another tree. And this other tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told humanity not to eat of this tree. To not eat of the tree is to say yes to God. It's to depend on him. It's to live his way. It's to live with him. But to eat of the tree is to say no to God. It's to say, I want independence from God. It's to live however we want. And in the story of the first garden, those first human beings, Adam and Eve, they ate of that tree. And we've been eating from it ever since. We say no to God. We say no to his ways. We sin. And guess what happens? Death enters the garden. Human beings are cut off from the tree of life. In the book of Genesis, the picture that we're given is, is these, these angels who stand guarding the tree of life with a flaming sword. And no one's getting through that. And the question is, why? Why is sinful humanity cut off from the tree of life? Well, it's simple. It's because there is no life apart from the one who gives life. To say no to the giver of life is to say no to life itself. And this is our human story. We live this story, this, this garden at the beginning of the Bible is the garden of our past. What begins as life in a garden ends with death in a tomb because of sin. And it's Adam's tomb and Eve's tomb. It's my tomb. And yours. Oh, but thank Jesus, the story doesn't end there. <laughs> See, at the end of the Bible, there's another garden. And, and the blessed tree is in that garden. The tree of life. And guess what? In, in that garden, there is no one guarding the tree. No angels. No flaming sword. In fact, we're told that, that in that garden, Jesus is sitting on the throne of heaven. 
And there is this river that flows out past the tree and right down the center of the city. (laughs) The river flows through the tree of life and it brings life to everyone in the city. And we're told there that in that future garden, we're told there is no more death or dying or crying or pain. We're told that, that the tree, its very leaves bring healing to the nations. It's because the curse has been broken. Sin has been undone. What is dead is brought to life as something new in God's future garden. What a story. But the question becomes, how do we get from the first garden to the last? How can we get from the tragedy of death in the garden of our past to the fullness of life in the garden of God's future? How can the tomb become a garden again? You know what we know, like, we know in our intuition that you can't get there through your own effort. Or like, like self-help and and self-improvement, they have no power to overturn the grave. And we can't get to that garden through our good deeds either. Like even our, our kindness, no matter how kind and no matter how often we are kind, kindness doesn't have the power to extinguish the sword of death. And we can't get there through our ingenuity or, or our invention because human progress can't roll the stone away either. And so the question is, how can our tomb become a garden again? And in the text, Mary, she turns her gaze from the tomb to Jesus. She looks out into the garden, but actually what she sees is Jesus. And and right, you caught it in the text, she mistakes him for the gardener. Did she really mistake him? Or did she really see the gardener? The only gardener who has the power to break the curse. The only gardener with the power to make what's dead come to life. Right? A, a garden is a place where life is cultivated. It's, it's a place where, where, where things flourish and grow. And when we think about Jesus' ministry, his three years as he, as he walked the earth in formal ministry, we saw that the kingdom of heaven was in bloom wherever he went. No matter what he did, he was gardening the kingdom and dead things came to life. People's lives were restored. Think about it. When a storm threatened the disciples' lives, Jesus merely spoke a word and then the chaos came to order. And when people were hungry and in poverty, God or Jesus created an abundance of food to nourish their bodies. Jesus touched untouchable lepers, restoring to them both health and dignity. Jesus made friends with people who languished in loneliness, people they called sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He made them his own. He found failures like Peter. He forgave them, 
restored them to a place of honor and status. And when broken religious systems tried to oppress people, holding them down, Jesus flipped tables in the temple and he demanded justice. Jesus was a gardener of God's kingdom upon the earth. Wherever he went, God's kingdom sprang into life and people flourished. And so, how can the tomb be turned back into a garden? Well, we need the resurrection gardener. Your efforts cannot break the power of death. Your deeds can't do it, and neither can human improvement. We all need the power stronger than the curse to break it. And that's what happened in the garden tomb that first Easter Sunday. The power of God rolled back the stone that separates us from the tree of life and outstepped heaven's gardener. And it's through him, Jesus, that we are given access to this abundant life in the present and everlasting life in the future. But here's the challenge for all of us. Because right now, we, we are living somewhere between these two gardens. Right? Our life presently is, is a life that, that happens between uh, the garden of our past and the garden of God's future. We live in between the gardens. And in this life between these two gardens, we so often get entangled by weeds. By, we get caught up in things that look to us like life but really they only lead to death. For instance, like sometimes we try and escape our problems through, through things, substances, a bottle of wine or whatever it might be. We try and escape our problems through, through these substances and the escape looks like life, but it leads to something more destructive. Or how about the excitement of, of sending a flirty email to a colleague, a, a married coworker, perhaps? And it brings this thrill of, of life, but it's death masquerading as life. Or chasing likes on, on TikTok because it makes us feel validated or, or important or, or seen among our peers. But, but friends, it's death masquerading as life. Or how about growing our, our net worth at the expense of the relationships in our lives or at the expense of people who work? It's death masquerading as life. And the point is, we don't simply need the good gardener to secure our life in the future. We need him to lead us into life today as we live between the gardens. Did you notice that in the text that Jesus asks Mary a question? He asks her too, but, but one of the questions he asks, he's, he says, who are you looking for? Not what are you looking for, but who? Life beyond the tomb doesn't come from a what, but a who. Real life doesn't come through a something, but a someone. It's not found in a romantic relationship or, or a bottle or being popular or religion. 
We need to hear this. Even, even religious systems, they, they don't bring the life that Jesus has in mind. None of these things have the lasting power of resurrection life. Because that kind of life isn't what, uh, what, what Jesus has come to give us. It's not found in Jesus, the gardener of resurrection. Now, I am terrible at growing things. When I got my first real job after university, I went out and bought a plant, put it in my office. It lasted a month before it was a fire hazard. And then I thought I'd move up to the cactus world. You've all done this, haven't you? A little less maintenance. And so the cactus lasted six months before it looked like a cucumber that someone had sucked the insides out of. And in the midst of all of this, I learned two things about gardening. First, if there is no gardener, there will be no garden. And second, if the gardener has no idea what they're doing, there will be no garden. And the question is, do you have the good gardener in your life? Because without him, there is no garden. And if we try and tend the garden ourselves, <laughs> there's going to be no garden. Do you have the good gardener in your life? The one who can make a tomb a garden? Or are you trusting to things that have no power to grow abundant life here and now? And trusting in things that, that will secure an everlasting future that have no power to do so? And Jesus. He's the gardener who can turn wastelands into flourishing gardens. And so really, to get real here, what does this look like for you? Like, where, where do you need Jesus to cultivate in your life? And I, and I presume that, that there are some people in this room that, 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 that they have never considered attaching their life to Jesus. Either that you're living in this, this garden of a past mistake, and it's death. It really is death. But Jesus wants to invite you into the garden of God's future, where we're restored to the tree of life, where the tomb has been rolled away. But it only comes through him. And so maybe this morning, the response for you is to say, I wasn't expecting this this morning. <laughs> but I think I want to trust in Jesus. He's the good gardener. He has what you need of us. Maybe, maybe what we need to trust the good gardener for is, is not so much the life of, of the future, this everlasting life. It's in the present that, that we don't feel an abundance of life now. The things in our life feel dead and broken and, 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 and hurting. And Jesus can bring those things to life too. Fellow pastor Brian Zand has said this, he says, a gardener's work is earthy and intimate. Gardeners have their hands in the humus. We are humans from the humus. 
Gardeners handle living things with living hands. And then he says this. Jesus is not afraid to get his hands dirty in the humus of humanity. Jesus isn't afraid to get his hands dirty in the dirt of your life. And that's what he did on the cross. And I promise you that your life is not so messed up that Jesus can't transform it into something beautiful and abundant that reflects his kingdom. Because Jesus turns graves into gardens all the time. And so where do you need the good gardener? The turning point for Mary, as I, I draw to a close here, the turning point for Mary came with one word. She was living under the shadow of the tomb, and the good gardener need only say one word in order to bring her back to life. It's in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. New Testament scholar Dale Bruner has said, this is the shortest sermon Jesus ever preached. One word. He spoke her name. And when Mary heard it, her eyes were opened and her hope was restored. The tomb became a garden. How about you? Jesus, the gardener, is speaking a one-word sermon over you right now. Do you hear it? Maybe not so much in your head, but in your heart, do you hear it? Into the shadow of death, the good gardener of resurrection is speaking your name. And there was life for all who will receive him. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the only one who can. And so I want to take a moment right now for those who are in this room that, that, that maybe you, you're stirring in a real way. Jesus, I pray that you would receive new children into the garden of your future today. As you call us by name. Because you love us. You don't condemn us. You love us. And so I pray that as, as new people step into the garden of your future, I pray that even today there's, there's many of us here that need a fresh touch from your Holy Spirit. We need this living water of God to flow from your throne and to cover over our, our past mistakes and our sin and our brokenness. And We pray, Jesus, that you grow something new. That resurrection wouldn't simply be words on a page or a detail in the story. But it would be real through the power of God. Because you have overcome the grave. And so Jesus, to this we give our yes and our amen. And we pray that you'd meet us as we lift your name high. 
We love you. Amen.